Well, have you ever been sick and you needed time to get well? You were sick and even once you were able to return to work or return to school, you didn't just bounce right back. There was a time you had that sort of nagging, lingering cough or you maybe you knew what it was like to have to, it took days to recover from the weakness that was a result of being sick. Or maybe you had a broken bone. And you had, uh, you had to do some rehab as part of the aftermath of that. Uh, like my, my mother had hip surgery last year. And so had to go through weeks and weeks of rehabilitation. So maybe you've had a hip replacement, a knee replacement. And you know that it just wasn't an instant healing. It took a bit of time to fully recover. In Acts chapter 9, we see an encounter with Peter. We've been talking about Saul uh, the past uh, couple of weeks, but now uh, the the last part of Acts chapter 9 switches back to the other key figure in the book of Acts, and that is of Peter. And we know Peter. He is that faithful apostle who is so bold oftentimes uh, maybe speaking or acting before he's really thought it through. And some of us might, you know, right, relate to Peter in that regard because sometimes we might say something or do something before we fully th- thought it through. And then you look at the number of times that Peter was on the end of one of Jesus' rebukes, right? And uh, saying, boy, you still don't get it. Well, even when they came to arrest Jesus, it was Peter, right, that wielded the sword. That, you know, cut off somebody's ear. And Jesus picks up the ear and puts it back on and... You know, says, okay, ear healed and it's all good. But then he looks at Peter and he's, he rebukes him and says, that's not what we're about. We're not leading a violent campaign or rebellion here. And so, and so Peter is that guy that time and time again, it seems like, boy, he messes up and he gets it wrong. But then you look at time and time and time again that Peter is the bold one. When Peter and John arrive at the tomb, John tells us in his gospel account that, that he didn't go in. He got there first, but he, he just didn't for whatever reason. Whether it was fear or just lack of nerve or, or whatever. We, Paul, John says, I, you know, it's Peter got there. And then he's the one that goes into the tomb first. It's Peter is the one who when Jesus says, who do you think I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. You're the Son of God. It's Peter that says, Master, we've given everything up for you. If you're not who you say you are, and I'm paraphrasing at this point, but if you're not who you're saying you are, then what's the point in all this? If we don't have you, then what in the world do we have? Because you are everything to us right now. And so now we see a glimpse of Peter's ministry. He has left the city of Jerusalem. 
the church scattered, but we know the apostles, it was safe for them to remain in Jerusalem for a time. But now we find that Peter is in the outlying areas. Verse 32 of Acts chapter 9. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. Now, I'll just stop, pause there for a second. Lord's people, in some of your translations it might say saints. And, uh, and I wish uh, my translation had held uh, to that term because I like that. That's exactly what we're doing right now, church people. We are gathering with the saints on the Lord's day. And so uh, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Now, you think about that. Aeneas is someone who has been paralyzed for eight years. I know what it was like to have my leg, at least one of my legs, immobile for about three months. Back in 2012, I had a little freak accident and broke my right foot. Some of y'all might remember, when I came here for homecoming, I had just had to start wearing an orthopedic boot uh, the, the week prior. And I made the joke that, hey, I wish I had some exciting story to tell you that I was chasing after a sinner and, you know, encouraging them to repent or something like that. But no, I stepped on a landscaping rock in the church parking lot, turned my foot, and broke it. And the orthopedic surgeon said, okay, about four weeks, about four weeks, uh, you can be good as new. If I do surgery, I can go in and put a screw in it and blah, blah, blah. And he said, or we can avoid surgery if you're willing to be patient and wear an orthopedic boot. And I said, well, how long will that be? He said, probably a few months. And I said, well, let's avoid the surgery and go this route. And I remember when I finally, after about 90 days in November of that year, I finally get the boot off and I start moving my foot. And, uh, and I say, you know, it, it, feels, it doesn't feel right. And he, he literally chuckles. He laughs out loud and says, well, of course it doesn't. You haven't been able to move it for three months. Now my point in all this, church family, is that when something is not used for a while then it doesn't act right when you start using it again, right? Imagine the atrophy that has set in to someone who has not been able to walk for eight years. Talk to a physical therapist and say, boy, somebody that hadn't walked in eight years and now they're able to walk again, uh, what would that rehabilitation process be like? And they'd probably look at you without hesitation and say, it would be like learning to walk all over again. But yet, when Peter heals in the name of Jesus, there's no rehab necessary, is it, church? 
he gets up, he picks up his mat, and he just walks away. Because Jesus provides complete healing. And no, Jesus is not there. Jesus has ascended sometime before this to the right hand of the Father. But yet these apostles who are empowered with what Jesus could do is showing people the power in the name of Jesus. And so there's no taking the time, taking it easy, getting back to normal. Well, I I used to be bedridden for eight years and now I'm getting around with this walker. Or I've gravitated to the four-pronged cane. And I'm thinking about my dear mother who, you know, it's it's been a process of, of getting back to normal for her. And there's none of that. Aeneas just gets up and starts walking. And then we read on. Verse 36, In Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. I'm going to read that part again. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time she became sick and died and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them and when he arrived he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Now, do you see some similarities with some healings that we've seen take place in the Gospels? Because... Aeneas's episode, that, that encounter, should kind of remind us of some guys that knew that Jesus was in a house and they wanted their friend to be healed. There was no way to get in the house. It was standing room only. And so what did they do? They removed a section of the roof and then lowered him and his mat down through the roof. Now I tell you, church, those are the kind of friends I want, right? Aren't those the kind of friends you want? Man, that they're going to take a section of somebody's house apart. (laughs) That they're going to say, hey, it's, it's not vandalism, we'll put it back later. 
you know. And with the kind of roofs, and I've read scholars say, now, nah, well, with the, their roofs aren't like our roofs today, and it's not like they had to go through, you know, through all the trusses and all the, the, the loose-fill insulation or the rolls of Owens Corning or whatever might be insulating your roof space or attic space. And, and you know, that it wasn't like all that, that it was this thatched roof, and, and they just removed a section of it, and they could kind of weave it back in later. But I'm still saying... That still takes some doing, right? I mean, removing the section of roof, lowering somebody down, and, you know, if, if I was preaching and all of a sudden somebody starts coming down from the ceiling, kind of like the, the Predator's mascot before a hockey game, you know, coming in uh, from the roof, I wouldn't know what to think. I'm sure Jesus, being Jesus, didn't miss a beat and healed the guy and all was well. But that's what Ananias, or Aeneas, excuse me, is supposed to remind us of. Now, when you read about Tabitha, when you hear about Tabitha, are you reminded of something else that Jesus did? Jairus' daughter. Because what happened? They sent for Jesus. So Jesus had to go to the house. They have sent for Peter. These two towns are about 10 to 12 miles apart. So, you know, this isn't like going around the corner. This is servant leadership at its best right here. There is a need and he goes out of his way knowing that she's already dead. And he gets there and who's in the house? It's the mourners. And what does he do? Just like Jesus, he sends everybody out of the room when Jesus was there with Jairus' daughter. And then he says, Get up. And Peter says to Tabitha, get up. Yes, I think we are supposed to draw a conclusion. It's as if Jesus never left. What's the point of all this, church? But Luke puts these stories here together. And he wants us to draw a very clear conclusion. That Jesus is alive through His church. And so that begs the question for us this morning. And not just that this morning. I think it begs the question for us every day. How are we going to show someone else Jesus today? Forget tomorrow. Tomorrow will be here tomorrow. But this day is called today. How are we going to show Jesus today? Now there are some who believe that healing powers ended with the apostles. And that may, that may be true. I know that, that people are still being healed in the name of Jesus through prayer. I don't doubt that for one second. 
And the day I do is the day I need to turn in my resignation as the minister of the Hohenwald Church of Christ. Philip Greiner says, Amen. <laughs> Philip wants me to quit now. No. But that's exactly right. We give up on the power of Jesus? Ooh. Don't do that, church. Jesus is alive in His church. And so there's that term that we hear, that we say from time to time, the hands and the feet of Jesus. And all that simply means is that since Jesus is not physically present, that we are an extension of His physical presence, that we are the hands and feet. That when we undertake ministry efforts through the Hohenwald Church of Christ, we're doing our part to be the hands and feet of Jesus. When Tom tells us about uh, a relationship that is forged through World Bible School, and that a baptism results from that, then Tom readily admits Jesus, or God works in mysterious ways. All I can say to that is amen. By the way, Tom, sign me up for World Bible School. Let's get going with that, okay? I mean that. Uh, it's, I've been meaning to do that for some time, and it's, it's, it's time. But, but that, that we... Whether we are here doing something in an organized ministry effort or we as individuals are out and about in the community and we are living in such a way that people know that we are a child of God, then we are being the hands and feet of Jesus. When people see us living in a holy and upright way, when people know that we draw the lines, that there are things that we do and there are things that we don't do. There are things that we say and there are things that we do not say. There are places we go and then there are places we do not go. Why? Because we are called to be holy. We are called to be set apart. And so we look at the lives of these people. Now, one thing that we don't want to miss here, because Luke doesn't want us to miss it, because he brings it up not just once, but twice, within just a few verses. By the way, the title of today's message is always doing good. And so that latter part of verse 36, she was always doing good and helping the poor. And then in verse 39, the latter part of that verse, all the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing, clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. In other words, Dorcas was a giver. Whether you want to call her Dorcas or Tabitha, either way, this woman, this child of God, this believer was not just someone who believed in theory. Her faith was evident to those around her. 
In what ways are we making our faith evident? That's the challenge for us today, church family. How is our faith evident to those people around us? I have seen people that pass from this life and those people around them will think of things to say, think of positive things. Well, I remember the time we... And I, you know, always... This person was always... And they fill in that blank. But then there are those people that pass from this life. And people are devastated. People are absolutely devastated because of how valuable they were. Church family, we have a choice in this life. We can be people who take up space or we can be people that make enough of a difference that when we pass, we leave a legacy of love. That we leave a legacy of giving. Whether that's financial giving, whether it is someone like Tabitha who used her gift of making clothing to make clothing for other people that had need. Whatever that might be, we are called to be people who use our gifts. And every one of us in this room, every person that will be watching this on YouTube has been given a gift by God. Shame on us if we don't look for ways to use those gifts to glorify God and to be Jesus for someone. That's what we're called to do. Because Jesus is alive in His church. The question is, can other people tell it? That's the question. Can other people tell that Jesus is alive in His church? That verse that Jeff read this morning before we began worship. That we, we are God's handiwork and that we were created to do good works that He created in advance for us to do. Let's be people who are always, always doing good. If you are with us this morning...